0: is the Southeasterner Podcast.
1: I'm now joined by Justin Nails. He's a writer at gridironnow.com, writing about the SEC, a man out of my own heart. Uh, Justin, how are you doing? I'm good today. How are you? I'm doing really well. And brought you on to talk, Auburn, you're not not specifically an Auburn guy. The last episode talked about Georgia and had uh, Morgan Moriarty, who's not specifically a Georgia person. So we're, you know, kind of free in terms of the definition of uh, the people that we get on to preview these teams. But we'll talk about Auburn in the most educated way that we can and probably, like, make fun of them and other stuff. Uh, But
0: I guess with— Well, at least you know I'm not going to, you know, be a homer. Exactly,
1: that. and that's, honestly, that's much more refreshing, I think, to myself and the audience to not hear uh, somebody just pump shun- pump sunshine uh, about a team, because looking at Auburn, I don't know how great they are, but you're down in Birmingham, Alabama, you're working radio down there, and of course, you're writing for Gridiron now. Um, how do you see this Auburn team from kind of a, a thousand-foot view? Because I honestly... I don't know a lot about them. I don't know a lot about the roster except I watched Last Chance You, and they have the quarterback from that documentary as potentially their starting quarterback this year. But uh, much other than that, I, I'm not really sure what's going on over there. So what's your view of Auburn for 2016?
0: Right. We would have to pump a lot of sunshine to, uh, <laughs> to really make Auburn look great. No, I mean, when it comes down to it, this is an Auburn team that uh, they, they've They've had their off-field issues. Of course, you know, Javon Robinson being let go last week was kind of a shocker. Um, A lot of people didn't see that coming. But now, you know, this is also a team in Auburn that has had seven consecutive thousand-yard rushers. And it's kind of that old saying, you know, you're not going to get lucky seven times in a row. It's kind of like teams like Baylor and Texas Tech – they always have pretty good quarterback play because they have a system set up to have pretty good quarterback play. Well, Auburn's the same way. Auburn just does it on the running scale. They have running backs that year in and year out, you know, ground out 1,000 yards because their system is set up for running backs to to really do well. And uh, I don't think this year's going to be any different. The names are going to change as they have over the last, seven years but this is a team that does have some some very good players um coming back carry on johnson looks to be the like the guy that's that's probably probably going to take over um as the starter malik miller is another guy he's a freshman that's going to come in and uh and, and give you some good yards and like you said john franklin the third is the type of quarterback that Gus Malzahn wants and needs in his system because he is a running threat, a lot like Nick Marshall was, you know, a, a guy like that that can really stretch the field not only with his arm but with his feet also. And and that's what really makes this offense uh, click at times is when you have a quarterback that can do both. Now, how well will John Franklin III be? for Auburn this year that's yet to be seen um you know we were talking earlier and I said this is a guy that you know he's got talent he was recruited at Florida State and and, you know oftentimes we get caught up in a lot of these guys that get recruited here or there but if you're being recruited as quarterback to Florida State I'd have to say that you're you're probably pretty talented um and I you know talk about last chance you and, and and just kind of the perspective that I had for gridironnow.com. I read a a review over the documentary. I wasn't very impressed with John Franklin, the third, the person, but as far as the talent, you can see the talent. I mean, the talent's there. He's a very talented guy, uh, very fast, very quick. He's going to have to make better decisions and, and, you know, we know that the documentary probably didn't show the whole story as far as what he did on the field, but you have to think that he's pretty—he's good enough for Gus Malzahn to want this guy. And um, I, I, you know, the, the takes out there—we'll we'll see how he does uh, against you know very good competition week one when Auburn hosts Clemson.
1: Yeah. Talking about that documentary, I it, I found it really interesting, the fact that it seemed like, and, and maybe it depicted it not in the most realistic way or depicted every part of it that happened in terms of like communication between John Franklin Jr. And, and Auburn, but Rhett Lashley came to one game, and John Franklin Jr. scored, what, seven touchdowns in one half uh, and had like 200 yeah, it was yards like rushing six, or something?
0: Yeah, six or seven touchdowns in one half. They were absolutely demolishing mississippi delta uh in a game that ended up being you know the 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 reason that they weren't able to defend their national championship but yes he did i mean for all purposes wyatt roberts who was the starting quarterback he backed up chad kelly last year at East Mississippi was the starter for most of the year. And and you see in the documentary does a very good job in that offense uh, for coach Stevens. And once he goes down in the Mississippi Delta game, he gets injured and uh, we see John Franklin, the third come in, then he shines and, and we see that it just so happens to be the game that, Rhett Lashley is there and and you know the the story writes itself after that. Yes,
1: yeah, so I kind of have the same I I sort of had a premonition and I'm not totally sure why about Jeremy Johnson last year. I felt like I was like the only guy on planet Earth that was like I think Jeremy Johnson's going to suck. <laughs> like I I don't think he's going to be good. These expectations are way too high. I I will say I don't think I didn't think before the season that he would be as bad as he was. I mean, he was truly terrible, but I i mean especially from that documentary i get the same feeling about john franklin where it's like he is just something about him like the work ethic's not there he thinks he's awesome he's just like that that just doesn't seem to add up a lot of the time when you get a guy who's supposed to be great and they have that bad attitude uh and then they don't put in the work i mean am i am i off base there
0: no, I mean, and, and that's your personal opinion, and and that's fine. I, I think, for me at least, you know the the part with John Franklin the Third that I that I didn't like from the documentary was that in the scenes that you see him away from football, he just he does. He seems like a very cocky individual, and there again, nothing wrong with that when we speak of athletes and sports we know that this is a theme that we always see especially with quarterbacks they are very cocky they have to be It's it's a way of life almost for quarterbacks but it was the the leadership tendencies it was the way that he dealt with other adults around him in situations that didn't have to do with football or even coach stevens at one point who was trying to coach him after a throw that he had, and you see, again, you see the talent, but he overthrew a guy, and Coach Stevens comes in to coach him up. He didn't seem to want any part of what Coach Stevens had to say, so, yes, I think there are some things that once the season starts, we will tend to look at that and, and we'll keep an eye on John Franklin the Third and see how he handles those situations. Look, if he's the guy uh, going into Game One, we'll find out pretty quickly just how good John Franklin the Third is against a, a, Cle- a Clemson team that returns a lot of starters on the offensive side, not so much on the defensive side. But you, you, you'd have to think this is a team that's going to be very good this year, and uh, he, John Franklin the Third is going to be put through the fire early in his career.
1: It will be very interesting to see, and and on that note, you're touching on it a little bit there. What has been the problem in the past with Gus Malzahn in this offense? Because it seemed like he really revolutionized offense to a certain extent uh, in the college game. Really spearheaded the the fast uh, spread offense, and then it seemed like people figured it out, and then he's completely stunted now, and like can't get it back together. What do you think has been? the real problem there, and do you see it improving uh, in the future? Well, you know, it all starts
0: with the offensive line. In in any rushing offense, the offensive line is going to be key. And for whatever reason, it just seems as though, you know, things at Auburn aren't gelling the way that they should. Now, again, a quarterback who can run and throw, will that help take some of the pressure off of Auburn? Uh, going into the season, yes, will a defense that is going to see its third defensive coordinator in the last three years, will uh, uh, you know a defense that can take a, a team and put them in situations where Auburn is starting on you know deep in their own territory? These are all things. These are football you know isms that we talk about that every team needs. For you know, we need these things to go right for our team in order to have a, a chance to win. In, in Auburn's case, it has been the quarterback play. You know, they they were very good uh, when Cam Newton was there. They were very good when Nick Marshall was there. Uh, they were very bad last year with Jeremy Johnson and, and Sean White. So I, I think if you it all starts with the quarterback position in college and at the NFL level. These are the teams need a very good quarterback if you're going to win. Uh, they, it's the same thing that we talk about with LSU. We don't know what we what we're going to see out of Brandon Harris this year. So the offensive line has to play better. They have to put you know those running backs and that quarterback in a position to open up holes. And, and those offenses like Gus Malzahn's offenses. It's all about time. It's being at the right place at the right time and and hitting those holes, getting those blocks. If they can do that, you know, I think we do see an improved uh, Auburn team. Now, how much improved is that going to be? That's yet to be seen. I will tell you this. The one thing that I think Auburn has going in their favor is that Auburn has eight home games this year. So they're going to be very comfortable in their own skin, even with teams like Clemson coming to Auburn early in the season. That first part of the season for Auburn is very tough. In their first four games, they have Clemson, Arkansas State, Texas A&M, and LSU. But they don't leave their stadium until October 8th when they go to Mississippi State. So it's going to be a a nice little stretch at home for Auburn there, and if they can play well, if they can play well and get some wins in conference at home, I think they have a good chance of getting to eight or nine wins this year.
1: How hot is Gus Malzahn's seat? Like, what what would he have to do? How bad would he have to screw up to get fired this year? In your opinion?
0: You know, that's I, I know we. We live in a day and age in in college football where we see more turnover in in college football than I think we've ever seen before. You know, Gus Malzahn is entering his fourth year at Auburn. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's only been there four years. And he's been to a national championship game. So, you know, look at the entire SEC from – Every team, except for with the exception of, of Alabama and Georgia, we've seen a lot of turnover at a at a lot of these schools throughout the year. Now, granted, Kirby Smart going into his first year at Georgia this year, that was kind of a, a situation where I think some people were kind of caught off guard. I wasn't. I I, I thought the firing of Mart Rick was coming. I thought it was the writing was on the on the wall, but. A lot of these schools, LSU included, it, you, you've got you know, coaches – or LSU excluded, I'm sorry. Uh, a lot of these teams, you do see a lot of turnover, and it's because these teams are chasing one thing. They're chasing Nick Saban and Alabama. And I think the way that you do that is that you allow a coach to stay long enough to build – the team and, and the program into what he wants it to be. And and I don't think enough uh, of these schools give these coaches an, enough time. I mean, you know, we, we've seen, well, here we are, it's, it's his fourth season. He's barely seen an entire freshman class graduate from Auburn, and we're already talking about his seat being inclined. I just, to me, I think. You know, it would have to be an absolute, uh, you know, just to just break down. We're talking about only three or four wins on the year for Auburn to to really uh, think about firing him. But I, even at that point, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Gus Malzahn feels feels good enough in his own skin where he's at uh, with Jay Jacobs behind him. I, I think he's going to be fine. See, I,
1: I don't I can't get a feel for if he is liked there obviously Tennessee I'm a whole lot closer I go to media events and you can kind of see like the administration of Tennessee likes Butch Jones they they do and they believe in him uh in a real way you can tell it's genuine but with Auburn I guess it was the dismissal of Gene Chizik and just how they really pulled the ripcord on that one like quickly uh two years after he won a national championship I'm like maybe they would do the same with Gus Malzahn, because he didn't even win a national championship, he played in one, uh, but and the fall off was not as drastic, I guess. Uh, Chiswick was, I mean, he went from a national championship to winning like four games, and that's that's a pretty big drop off. But uh, I completely agree with you.
0: Well, you know, the problem is, is that everybody in Auburn expects to, in some way, be on the same pedestal that Alabama is on, and, and it's just not. I mean, to me, it's just not realistic. Auburn will never be Alabama. I mean, there aren't a lot of teams that, that can be. Yeah, no, that nobody's going to be Alabama. Yeah. As Alabama. So I, I think that's a problem. You, you're in the same state. You see Alabama. You see the Crimson all over the state of Alabama, and you want to be able to compete with that. But look – uh, Auburn's played in two national championships since 2010. You know, give it some time. Let's see what Gus Malzahn can do. Let's let's see if he can continue to recruit his type of players. This is a guy that you've bought into. Let him see out his contract at least, and then reevaluate where you want to go as an as a program. That's one thing that I, I think. I and I wish college programs would do obviously we know they're not going to it's it's all about money and the more games you win the more money you're gonna make and you know ad's want to win now
1: yeah i mean that's just the culture that it's become i think you really hit the nail on the head there and i don't know exactly how i feel about it obviously it has become a very impatient culture where they're they're just like you got to win for us now and you got to win big and you got to like within three years and if you don't you're out of here i mean I'm a little different than you. I, I felt like Georgia got pretty greedy with Kirby Smart, and I don't know that they don't regret that decision. Obviously, I don't think that they're going to do. A lot of people compared it to Philip Fulmer at Tennessee. That was an extraordinary thing because of the hires that were made after. <laughs> I think Kirby Smart is a far better hire than Lane Kiffin and especially a better hire uh, than Derek Dooley, but <clears> it's It's a really interesting question to ask um but i i do want to touch on this I, I don't want to go too long uh here with you and you sent me an article you wrote this week that was about uh, tennessee and how everyone thinks that they uh are every single year they're like chosen to win the sec east that's not actually the case you wrote an article about this and uh, uh, what exactly was it i'll let you explain it
0: so I was, uh, like a lot of people that that are on Twitter enough, and, and you and I are both on Twitter a lot, if you scroll down Twitter long enough for, a, for a, a number of days, at some point you're going to come across someone saying that Tennessee is overrated this year. Um, and, and it's one of those things that you always see it. Tennessee is always overrated. So I saw a couple of people asking, well, where did this start? You know, where did this this kind of idea that Tennessee is always overrated? Where did that become a thing? And and through my searching, I, I came across this website that that is very basic in its in what it does, but it it really is really cool that someone took basically a, a spreadsheet and, and they took each team in college football and they put up their numbers Each year from 1989, which that is when the preseason polls went from 20 to 25. So you had the top 25 and, uh, you had these polls that would come out and have teams that were ranked in the top 25 preseason and then their rate, their rankings, uh, after the bowl season, the last, you know, the last poll or whatever and where they were from that point. And it gives you a a, a very simple mathematic equation. That shows you if a team is ranked, you know, I took Tennessee as an as uh, example from last year. Preseason, Tennessee was ranked 23rd. They finished the season at 20, 22. So, ideally, they were actually underrated because they, were, they, they finished one place ahead of where they, they started out. So I, I then, to, you know, they took this information and that from 1989 all the way up until 2015. They they took each team and they gave them a, a numerical number to show how underrated or overrated those teams really were. And teams with a positive number were more underrated each year. Teams with a negative number were more overrated each year. And lo and behold, you know, you have the same guys year in and year out, the Texas, the Southern Californias, the Floridas, the LSUs, the Tennessees, who are more times than not overrated. But a lot of that just is because of how these teams are rated so highly in the preseason and for whatever reason, they fall off at the end of the year. But there were a number of teams, I think it was like 12, all in all, that were 12 other teams that were more overrated than Tennessee from 1989 to 2015. And, you know, that varies from year to year, but it was just kind of a cool way to look at it and go, all right, you know, there were years that, yes, Tennessee was overrated, but there were also a lot of years that they were underrated.
1: Yeah, I I sifted through that thing for a while. The other day just the what you've linked um and
0: yeah it even breaks down conferences which is yeah, awesome
1: it it really is very comprehensive and very cool and you really i thought it was funny because it really affirms some things like like usc is always overrated like you and and truly that ha- in a real way that happens like every year it's happening again this year uh and i think they're not going to be good again um and, and guys like that, why, with the guys who are actually really overrated, I think it's pretty much proved Tennessee has definitely been overrated in the past, but not nearly as much as people think. Um, but what, what contributes to that? Is it specifically just name brand? Like, it's Notre Dame, so they got to be in the top ten. And they are. They're number nine already. Uh, I mean, is it just that? Is it that simple? Or what do you think plays into it?
0: I think a lot of that plays into it, yes. I I think, you know, just like we know that on a year-in and year-out basis that Texas is usually a pretty good football team. But according to this website, Texas is the most overrated team uh, since 1989 until the 2015 season. They're the most overrated team ever. And that's a lot of because... You know, we've always seen Texas as a top 25 team, as a top 15 team. Uh, now, they might not always finish there, but they start there. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that, that really caught my eye about Tennessee was that there were plenty of years that Tennessee didn't start the season in the top 25 or finish the season in the top 25. So it's hard to make a case of them being overrated when they weren't even, you know, they weren't even ranked preseason so um you know i think it is look tennessee is is a great program they always have been and i I think you're seeing that if they have a a a really good season this year they could get back to that that spot of one day being a powerhouse once again um but i think that's a lot of it you you have teams that just you know some teams overperform year in and year out Alabama being one of them Alabama was actually um had a positive score so they were they were more underrated uh than before I think the last nine years has contributed a lot to that um and just where they've been ranked in the preseason and finishing number one uh, at least four years uh with national championship national championships to show for it um but you know, these teams have been around for a long time. They've had a lot of success, uh, including Alabama, Tennessee, Southern Cal, Texas, Notre Dame. Uh Notre Dame not so much anymore, but I think a lot of people feel like Brian Kelly could, could get them back there. So it's uh it's an interesting website to look at. I, I encourage anyone to go see it and, and just take the time to, to look at it. It's fascinating if you're if you're a geek like me that likes numbers and and likes to look at numbers all day, you'll uh, you'll enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I I suggest it highly. I guess it's Stass, Stassen, Stasson, uh, whatever it is. I'm looking at it right now. I pulled it back up. Yeah, Alabama was definitely the most interesting to me because they're uh like consistently even in like the 90s when I guess I I look back because I was a Tennessee fan back then and Tennessee just whooped them every single time they played Alabama in the 90s, it seemed like at least. Uh, and they were actually underrated in most of those years in the 90s and things like that. So, like, my recollection does not necessarily match <laughs> what, what the reality was. So that's very interesting. One of the least overrated teams ever. And dang it, Nick Saban always puts his money where his mouth is. and he
0: <laughs> Right. It's It's... You know whether, and that's kind of the thing about the the website is even if you know Alabama comes ranked second in the nation preseason and they finish first, well then according to this website and, and the the mathematical mathematical equation that they use, they they were actually underrated. So that goes, you know, that's that's a positive for them. Now, you know, we can split hairs how. How underrated are you if you're ranked number two uh, preseason? And and it's kind of the same thing for Tennessee last year. You know, they start out 23rd and, and finish 22nd. Tennessee was a top 25 team most of the year last year. I mean, even with the tough losses, Tennessee was a very good team last year. Now, uh, preseason ranked in the top 10 this year. They're going to have to work a little harder – to stay in that top 10 and and have some big wins and i think that's the thing that a lot of people want to see is can butch jones win big games multiple big games in one season
1: that is that's the question that every single one of us wants to know and i I mean this isn't a, a tennessee preview but really it's strange now uh having tennessee finally be back in the actual talk of like college football in a in a big way um but i won't dwell on that too much this was all really good stuff finish with this i guess we geez we're going for 40 minutes some of that was off air but (laughs) um want to talk about the the last chance you your thoughts on it i finished it Last night, if you haven't seen it, to everybody that's listening, absolutely watch it. It's on Netflix. It's about uh, uh, East Mississippi Community College. I loved. it. I want to get your take on it, and then I'll, I'll tell you th- what I think. What did you think of the documentary?
0: Uh, yeah, well, first and foremost, uh, you, you got to understand that I'm, I'm a little biased towards Netflix because I think they've done so many things so right uh, when it comes to... Netflix original movies, Netflix original series. Netflix has really come around as, as, a, as a huge threat to all of TV, whether it be satellite or, or cable. Uh, Netflix is really going after the TV market, the younger generation, guys like me who are cord cutters, who can get great TV – uh, for very very cheap, and I think Netflix has done a, a great job, and, and I bought into Netflix completely. So with saying that, with with all of that out of the way, I thought Last Chance You was incredible. I think I, I thought it did a great job of not only showing you the football side of a junior college powerhouse, but it also showed you a, a small town in Scuba, Mississippi, where these are just regular folks. These are just, you know, day in day out guys. It's a small town and that, you know, the, the kind of the balance between the characters or the people that were at the school in this in the town, um, the coaches, the administrative staff, the players. I thought it did a good job uh, of giving you a nice mix of all of that. Um, now, there were a couple of people that obviously stood out. Coach Stevens, one of them was a was a huge character, and I know a lot of people have have written to me after I wrote my review, and and you know some people just don't like how Coach Stevens came off, and you know I think if you ask Coach Stevens, uh, I would probably say that there were times where he probably were was a little ashamed of, of how he acted. But at the end of the day, I, I think he does a very good job of kind of balancing that act of, of you've got guys coming to the school that have been in trouble, that have lost D1 scholarships because of academics, and, and they're fighting all of that. And you've got to try to talk them into let's play as a team, not just worry about – how you're going to make it back to the D one level. And and that's a tough job. Uh, Obviously to me, Brittany Wagner was the MVP of the entire series. Uh, Why she isn't, uh, why she hasn't been picked up by a a division one program and an athletic department is beyond me. Um, I think that that's probably going to happen at some point because she's that good. She just, You know, she just genuinely cared. Um, And, uh, you know, I even wrote this in my article. I I can't imagine what the dating pool in Scuba, Mississippi is like uh, for a woman (laughs) like that. It's got to be horrible. Um, But uh, I I, I thought it was very good. You know, uh, the uh, Ollie kid was fun to watch. You know, he had a, a, a very hard... Uh, background, a very hard upbringing, but I thought he was, you know, one of those guys that at the end of the day um, you wanted him to do well. And and I hope he does well. I think he's actually playing at Nickel State now. Um, So I I hope he does well. I hope that's a kid that that gets his degree and who knows? Maybe we see him in the NFL one day.
1: I I think I agree with most of uh, what you said there. I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done the way they presented it. There were a couple of episodes were maybe a little slower than others, just because they had to drag them out for to make it six episodes long. Um, but just the the harsh realities of that, and I was very aware of EMCC beforehand. I have a friend who worked there for a very very long time. I actually, works at Mississippi State now, um, and through him, I was well aware of. Emcc setup and how they're you know perennial not just a powerhouse but like they crush everybody and win games like ninety to fourteen, um, and it was really interesting to see the the inner workings of all of that and it it added I guess the what you don't ever think about in recruiting which is the fact that these aren't just football players like these are guys who have these backgrounds. And bad family by some of them, uh, and come from rough places, and have and have to like make grades. And they're guys that like can't do school, and you know a lot of them probably could but don't. You know, and I I loved that even even if it wasn't maybe the best that it could have been as a documentary, I loved that it showed that. I I mean, you pretty much hit everything that that I thought about it, and I will suggest. Go to Gridiron now, look at his uh, review of Last Chance U, Justin Nails on Gridiron Now. Follow him on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle?
0: It's just uh, Justin at Justin Nails, J-U-S-T-I-N-N-A-I-L-S.
1: Well, there you go. Great follow on Twitter and great writer. Awesome uh, stuff. uh, I'm trying to think. The Last Chance U review and the article on Tennessee being overrated. It's all really good stuff. Justin Nails, we have gone longer than I intended. This was great, great stuff. Thanks for being on the show, man. Hey, he